Welcome. My name is Amelia, otherwise known as DJ EJ, and this is Club Crime, a true crime broadcast recording live here at KTCU. How is everyone? I'm doing wonderful, a little bit tired. I just got done with a dress rehearsal. Um, I'm assistant designing makeup for Othello here at TCU. So I'm a little bit tired, a little bit worn out, but that's not going to stop me from giving you guys a great episode of Club Crime today. And honestly, coming here each week has been one of my favorite things ever. And I say this almost every week, but thank you all so much for all the support that you've been giving me. It's so incredible. If you haven't already, please go follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, We're at Club Crime Official. And yeah, um, we also, you can also follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're um, Club Crime. But as always, I have a guest in the studio here with me this week. I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Christabel. Christabel, tell us about yourself. Hey guys, I'm Christabel and I'm an acting major here at TCU. I study theater with Amelia and um, I'm from Dallas and... I'm really excited to be here. I've always wanted to be on a true crime podcast. That's what I was going to ask. So what's your like interest in true crime? How did you get into it? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Honestly, I think in middle school, it was around middle school, I got into like a YouTube deep dive on just (laughs) like true crime and it kind of didn't stop. Like I still watch true crime all the time, listen to true crime podcasts and yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, This week, I'm going to tell you like your duties of what you're here to do, how you're here to help me. So I'm going to tell you a true crime story. It is your job to react, ask questions, add in your own personal anecdotes, and just add to the story in any way that you want. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. Do you want to have, do you have like any guesses of what you think? I'm actually going to reveal this. So you kind of get a special episode today. I'm calling this a mini episode, a mini-sode, if you will, not because the episode will be shorter than usual, but because you are getting two, like, mini versions of a story, of two different stories, Um, and they're related. Oh, okay. Not like the cases were, like, the same or anything, but I think the cases have a little bit of, like, similarity to Mm -hmm. them. So, any any guesses of what you think? (sighs) No, I honestly, no, I'm, I'm ready to be ready to be surprised. Yeah, I know. I always surprised. feel bad. I always like put people on the spot and be like, what do you think it's going to be? And oh, then I always have head. to like, remember, like, there's like thousands <laughs> of like <laughs> true crime cases that I could choose from. Uh, yeah. All right. For your first story tonight, I'm going to tell you about the boy in the box case. Mm. Sources for tonight's story include Wikipedia, The New York Times, CBS News, BuzzFeed Unsolved, yes. <laughs> Daily Mail, and People Magazine. I love BuzzFeed Unsolved. So They're like one good. of the reasons that I'm here today. Oh my gosh, yes. All right, so for the background on the case. In late February 1957, in Fox Chase, Philadelphia, a young boy's body was found wrapped in a plaid blanket. The body was found by a young man who was checking his muskrat traps that he had placed in the woods off of the Susquehanna Road. Fearing that reporting what he had found would cause the police to confiscate his traps, 
the anonymous man left the body where it was. Wow. So we're already off to, like, a pretty terrible start. Yeah, I actually did not know about that. Interesting. Like, I didn't know that that's, that was what was happening. Like, yeah. And, <laughs> and this is not the first time this happens. Oh. That someone yeah. finds the body and just leaves it. <laughs> yeah. um, soon after this initial discovery, a college student went to investigate a rabbit that he had seen running underneath the underbrush as he knew that there were traps in the area. Mm-hmm. He then found that same body, but was reluctant to say anything about it, and it took him an entire day to report it. Wow. A whole day. So. Oh, my God. It's like, in my head, I was, like, so shocked by that of, like, you have two chances to report this body. Right. And you know what they say is, like, the first 48 hours someone, like, disappears or is murdered is, like, the best time Mm -hmm. to, like, solve a case. Right. And they're already way past this point now. Like, I see a dead body. I'm calling the police on the spot. Me too. I'm going to see that and I'm going to say, like, I might walk away from it because I don't want to, like, be standing next to it. But, like, like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. The police are definitely getting on the phone as soon as I see that. Mm -hmm. So the next day, this anonymous man does contact the police because... And one of the only reasons that he does it is because another, like, slightly famous case at the time um, is the disappearance of a girl named Mary Jane Barker, who is a young girl from New Jersey. So that's, like, hitting the news. So this guy's basically just like, oh, another girl went missing, and there's a small child's body in a blanket. Maybe now I should report. Mm -hmm. So... Interesting. <laughs> this is obviously like this is kind of a theme. Um, I'm also gonna say yeah. that this is, this is two stories today. All of my stories so far have had some sort of like personal connection to me. Oh really? Like yeah. So either like directly or indirectly, but um, the these two will be the first two today that like I don't really have any connection to. But interesting. Um, I guess my only connection is is the boy in the box case is like the case that I think got me into true crime. I remember it being like yeah. the first thing I ever saw of like BuzzFeed Unsolved. It was definitely one of the first I saw, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the, I guess that's my little personal connection. <laughs> so the boy's body was found inside a box marked with the words, Furniture, Fragile, Do Not Open with Knife, mm-hmm. that once contained a bassinet, which is also, like, also can be called like a baby cradle. Mm-hmm. And it was the same type sold by J.C. Penney's. And so basically his body was wrapped in the blanket and then it was inside the box. Right, okay. So, the boy appeared to be around four to six years old. He had blue eyes, and his hair had been recently cropped in a way that appeared to have been done by someone with no experience cutting hair and was possibly done posthumously. Yeah. I I remember that part because Mm -hmm. I remember... I guess you'll get to it maybe in a second. Um, But I remember them talking about how it was possible that... um, I don't know if it was... I I mean, obviously, this Mm -hmm. is all just a theory... But uh, where he was basically dressed up as a girl and, Mm -hmm. like, forced to, you know, be and act as a girl, like, his entire life. Um, And that his haircut Mm -hmm. was kind of a result of somebody just, I guess, maybe in an effort to make it easier to hide the body. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's actually a theory. We'll talk about some of the theories around this later. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't fully go into that one. But that is one of the theories that you are correct about that. That, like, the police did think that maybe he was being raised as a girl. Mm -hmm. And whoever, like, murdered him cut his hair to make it less suspicious that, like, this child may have possibly been killed because 
like he was a boy and was being raised as a girl. So you are right. That is definitely one of the theories. So it's been cropped. The hair is like very rough. And when I say it's like cropped, it's definitely, I don't want to say like buzz cut, but it's very short, like weirdly patchy in areas. So many of the police officers that first arrive on the scene describe the boy as just looking very Mm doll-like, just because of the blue eyes, very young. And the body also appears to be severely malnourished. He has surgical scars on his ankle and his groin, and he has a weird L-shaped scar under his chin. Mm-hmm. So, and this, like, I think I just said this, but the scars on his ankle and groin appear to be surgical. Mm-hmm. So it appears to be done by someone who knew what they were, like, they were using right. a scalpel, sewing him up, whatever. Yeah, I always wondered about the scar, if that was, like, on purpose or... The L, that's what I thought, L-shaped too, because you can see it, in some of the pictures that they have of right. him. Right. Uh-huh. And it is a very much like an L shape. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've also always wondered is like, was that given to him on purpose? Mm-hmm. How did he get it? So I like, right. yeah, I agree. I'm like, how, how did this happen? Yeah. All right. So the police investigation officially opened on February 26th, 1957, which Ooh. the anniversary of that was yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> The boy's fingerprints were taken, and an autopsy later revealed that the boy had been beaten to death. Police were initially optimistic about solving the boy's case, but no one ever, like, in those first couple of days, no one ever came forward with any useful information. Throughout Philadelphia, the boy's case began to pick up more and more media attention. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed and sent out 400,000 flyers depicting a drawing of the boy. And they did the drawing. They did have pictures that were Mm -hmm. taken of him, but it was more like the drawing was done in, like, fear of, like... Right. I don't think, like, people usually are thrilled about having, like, pictures. (laughs) Well, and here's what's even funnier is, like, the flyers were included with every gas bill in Philadelphia. So could you imagine, like, really? here's my gas bill. Oh, and then a picture of a dead child. Interesting. Wow. So the drawing was definitely done to, like, ease mm-hmm. the public's perception. But yeah. the pictures were eventually released. Mm-hmm. So I do want to say that is that, like, while drawings were done, like, the pictures were eventually released because they the police needed all the help they could get to, right. like, solve this case. So as the case started getting more and more traction across the entire U.S., the unknown boy became known as the boy in the box, which is why it's called the boy in the box case, Mm -hmm. Um, though some thought that was a little bit cruel to say. They didn't really like that. So Mm -hmm. people who wanted to be more gentle with the child would call him America's unknown child. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the like nicer name that he was given. Yeah. Which is so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I honestly appreciate that of like. Me too. Yeah. Giving him a nicer name and not like. Yeah. Like. That poor child. Especially <laughs> with ch- like children. Like children is always like mm-hmm. a difficult subject in true crime. Yeah. So I do always like when people try to be a little bit more considerate right. about what's actually going on. All right, so police investigators began searching the area where they found the boy's body. There they found a man's blue corduroy cap, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. There were also footprints leading from where the boy was found, but their trail eventually led to nowhere. Mm -hmm. 
So it's just like they have all these clues that like, in my opinion, could almost like literally tell you who it was. Mm -hmm. But it was also like just not enough. Yeah, it was like barely there. Like, And I think, honestly, I've always thought that the killer that Mm -hmm. he probably wanted to just play mind games with like people that's what i'm thinking like i feel i feel like everything down to like the letter of the scar on his Mm -hmm. face and like the letter in the handkerchief it was all just kind of like what i guess the police would think is clues but maybe he thought it was like just funny yeah yeah. it's all just like yeah i agree it's definitely Mm -hmm. like seemingly very much like mind games Mm -hmm. and also just like the idea that like they have the body, but there's little to no, like, because they they also didn't find really any th- fingerprints, I don't right. think, on the body. Mm-hmm. So just to, like, and that's the thing is, like, usually when you have the body, in cases where you don't, it's much more difficult to solve. But mm-hmm. the fact that they do and still not leading them anywhere, and then they also have these clues from the burial site. Yeah. And it's also leading them nowhere. It's also, yeah, I agree. It's, like, all just a little bit weirdly suspicious. Mm-hmm. So eventually, the police do release the post-mortem photographs of the boy to the media in hopes that his actual picture would get to the right people and someone who knew who he was would come forward. But this was unsuccessful because a lot of people were just calling in leads to, like, say that I called in the lead for the boy in the box case, which is also unfortunate. I think, like, trying to take advantage of a young child's murder investigation Mm -hmm. for some sort of, like, clout or popularity. I always thought that was so weird. (laughs) Like... It's it's not something to be taken lightly at it's, all. Exa- it's not something to be taken lightly, and that's also not the time to try and get right. your 10 minutes of fame. So, yeah, it's, it's so, like, distasteful, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Eventually, the boy's body was buried in a potter's field, but was exhumed in 1988 to extract DNA. Then, in 1998, he was reburied at a donated plot in Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia. A coffin, headstone, and funeral service were also donated, and his reburial was met with large media attention, and the locals in the area will often bring flowers and toys to his grave. That's really sweet. I love whenever, like, even though something as tragic as this can Mm -hmm. happen, sometimes, like, I do find it, like, sweet how communities come together to support you know, especially a child whose life child. was taken away so and prematurely. none of them know who he is. And even right. despite not knowing who he is, they still, like, honor him and bring mm-hmm. him toys and flowers. Yes. I agree. Mm-hmm. I also think that's just so beautiful mm-hmm. of, like, you know, there are often times where I'm like, oh, humanity. Yeah. But then there's other times where I'm like, oh, humanity. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, like, there are so many good people out there. Yeah. And that's another thing of, like, I talk about these stories and I'm honestly talking about, like, the worst of worst people. Mm-hmm. But I think we also still need to understand that there are so many people out there that, it, like, do so much good. Right. And people like this who will, like, s- like see the light in cases like yeah. this and make sure that this boy is not going to go mm-hmm. unforgotten. So I agree. So now we'll get into the theories regarding the boy's case. Um, so I do have some good news. The boy has been officially identified. Right, I saw that. I never, like, read it. I just Mm -hmm. didn't have time, but, oh my gosh, tell me more. (laughs) So, before we get into his identification, we're going to talk about the theories that were posed as to what may happen. So, I want to say this. The case is still unsolved. Okay. He has been identified, Mm -hmm. but they still don't know, like, who killed him or anything. Figures, I mean. So, the first theory 
1960, a man named Remington Bristow, who was pursuing the case, contacted a New Jersey psychic. And that's my thing. I'm always like, when you get psychics involved, like, I'm all for one of, like, horoscopes and astrology Mm -hmm. and, like, crystals and that stuff. But, like, psychics, like, have no scientific proven evidence to actually have ever solved cases like these. So I'm like... When you get a psychic involved, that that just, like, yeah. rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Mm-hmm. I also do feel like it shows how desperate some people can get, though. Mm-hmm. Just, like, how a case like this can drive people, like, crazy. Yeah, I agree. Like... So, the psychic told him to go to a house which matched a foster home around 1.5 miles away from where the boy was found. Bristow eventually attended an estate sale, which was at the foster home. Mm -hmm. There he found a bassinet that was similar to the one that JCPenney sold in the box that the boy was found in. He also found blankets similar to the one the boy was found wrapped in. Bristow believed and theorized that the boy belonged to the man who ran the home's stepdaughter and that the boy's body was disposed of so that the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother. Interesting. So (laughs) another like weird like yeah it's also it's also like coincidental Mm -hmm. and my thing is also like I know this is 1960, way before, like, we had, like, Zillow or the internet, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure this woman could easily have, like, looked up, like, houses around where this kid was, like, had died. She's like, oh, yeah, there's a foster home Oh, yeah, there's a foster home that you might want to go check out that I totally (laughs) didn't see in a newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all just, just, like, that's my thing, is, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of what, like, information psychics give seems to, like, you could so easily just, like, find based on a map or, like... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, like, maybe before the internet was a thing and some of the things they said could have been, like, okay, that's a little, like, creepy. But, like, Mm -hmm. this is still, like, it's just a house. Mm -hmm. So. And the whole thing about the daughter, like, I'm scared about people finding out that she was an unwed mother. He was, like, how old was he again? He was, like, like, four or six. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) So he's way, like, I feel at that age, like. This kid is old enough to know, like, who his mom is. Right. And, and at that point, just keep him, like, in the foster exactly. home. I don't... Yeah, you could pretend that he's <laughs> a, f- a foster <laughs> kid and say, like, yeah, I'm not I'm not your mom. I'm just, yeah. like, yeah, like, you're, I'm putting you up for adoption. Yeah. She, like, yeah. So it's all just, like, a little weird. Mm-hmm. So after police investigations were, like, had gone into the foster home, It was concluded that all of the children at the home had been accounted for and that the man and the stepdaughter had no connection to the case. Mm -hmm. So this theory has basically been disproved. But yeah, it's like, you know, obviously that I feel like that none of that would have ever been true. Right. So now we'll get into one of the second theories. In February of 2002, a woman known as Martha or M came forward. And that was all that she was known by. Um. She came forward and she accused her mother of killing the boy. Police, however, were suspicious of her accusations as the woman was known to have a history of mental illness. Yeah. So before I keep going, I don't want to say, like, people with mental illness are always, like, yeah, like, I don't want to be, like, mental illness. If you're mentally ill, like, what you're saying to the police is not right. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this woman was not medicated, Mm -hmm. not very well, and that what she was saying she was known for like lying about a lot of things and i feel like whenever a case like gets you know this big Mm -hmm. people that are mentally ill are probably like oh my gosh like 
mm-hmm. you know, they jump to conclusions or they just, you know, yeah. So that's, yeah, I don't want to say, like, if you're mentally ill, like, you're going to be a liar. Right. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying, like, all my power to everyone who has, like, mental illness, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, like, I, like, have history, like, I've seen therapy therapists I've like gotten help for my own mental health so I think you know I don't like when I write in stuff like that says like talks about mental illness I don't want people to think that I'm like discounting it or (laughs) saying like mental illness is bad I just want to say like this woman was known for not treating her mental illness Mm -hmm. and also like is known for lying because Mm -hmm. of her mental illness so that's all i'm saying yeah and it's like during this time too it's like mental illness isn't taken seriously exactly so So martha claimed that her mother and father purchased joseph from his birth parents in 1954 then her mother beat him to death and abandoned his body inside a box outside of town which Mm -hmm. in my head i'm like okay, you can make this claim, but, like, why? Right. Like, what's what's the backing up evidence mm-hmm. for this? Neighbors of Martha's mother did later confirm to the police, however, that there had been no boy living in her house around that time period and that Martha's claims were false. Mm-hmm. So another, like, theory that was, like, disproved, but mm-hmm. it's still worth, like, mentioning these right. of, like... Yeah. Because it is unsolved, and even though, like, some of these theories have been disproven, it's interesting to see, like, the progression of, like, the main theories of the case, Mm -hmm. you know? So, other theories about the boy included that he was raised as a girl prior to his death, which we had talked about, Mm -hmm. or that his killer was a man from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, And I read, like, a little bit about that one. It was, like, I don't remember the full connection, but they Mm -hmm. thought, like, his father was from, like, Memphis, Tennessee, and that, like he someone had i think brought in a lead saying like this kid belongs to this man Mm -hmm. they like followed it for a while before it got disproven okay but both of these claims you know were never proven obviously Mm -hmm. so now we'll actually talk about the boy's identification the moment that we've all been waiting (laughs) for on November 30th, 2022, the Philadelphia Police Department announced that genetic testing had been used to finally identify the boy in the box based on that his cousin had basically, his cousin's DNA had gone into, like, the DNA mm-hmm. database that right. the police department had. Uh-huh. So they were able to match it off of the cousin. On December 8th, authorities announced that the boy had been identified as Joseph Augustus Zarelli, born on January 3rd, 1953, excuse me, and he was four years old when he died. Hmm. So that's who he was. Um, Joseph's parents were revealed as Augustus, also known as Gus Zarelli, and Mary or Betty Abel, who were never married. And before we go on... I think it's interesting that the father's name is Gus because they did find that handkerchief that had the G on it. It's true. So I didn't read any theories about this yet because this information is so new. Mm -hmm. But in my own head, I'm theorizing, okay, there was a G handkerchief. His Mm -hmm. father was known as Gus. Was it the father? Right. Because it is kind of similar to that other theory of like, they're not like the parents were never wed so mm-hmm. was it a thing of like covering up the you that's know true, yeah quote unquote like bastard child mm-hmm. so that's my own theory but um yeah 
that's I don't like I'm not gonna add that to like the official theories because right. obviously yeah. no one else has really like read that or any or written about written about that sorry mm-hmm. so by the time Zarelli had been identified both of his parents have since died mm-hmm. however all of his half siblings have been notified regarding Zarelli's identification however all of them have chosen to keep their identities secret or like mm-hmm. safe for right, right now on January 13th, 2023, last month, which would have been Zarelli's 70th birthday, a new memorial was added to his gravesite, which included his picture and his name. Mm-hmm. Joseph Zarelli's name was also added to his original gravestone. However, despite his identification, his case still remains unsolved. And that is the story and of the death of Joseph Augustus Sorelli, also known as the boy in the box case. Yeah. It's That's such, a heavy case. It's a really heavy case. And, but I'm so glad that it was solved. Right. At, at least, like, to or know not his solved, name. But his, to know yeah. his name. Yeah. I feel like that makes it so, like, that, I know we're not, like, any real, really closer to having it solved. Mm-hmm. But in my head, I'm like, he at least has a name like we're not right. gonna just be call keep calling him this like the boy in the box, the boy, in the box yeah. the boy in the box so it's nice that like we can call like we can say like this his name is joseph sorelli mm-hmm. he died on this day or like around this day mm-hmm. so that gives me a little bit of hope right but i really hope that you know we have his name hopefully we can find who his killer was soon right even if his killer was like his father it would be really nice to like finally have that closure Mm -hmm. all right so that's your first story what did you think (laughs) well like after hearing that case so many times it like still doesn't get any less like disturbing Mm -hmm. or anything no i totally agree um yeah it's it's scary it's hard it's a lot of info to like take in mm-hmm. all at once but and like having little brothers like whenever i hear cases like that it just always like makes me so sad i don't mm-hmm. know it's just, me too yeah all right so we're gonna get into your second story okay. this one's gonna be a little bit shorter um the information that i have for this was written last semester so mm-hmm. let's get a little background of how club crime kind of was <laughs> okay. born So part of one of my English classes last semester, I had to create a podcast. Oh, okay. And um, it it was about anything. And by this time, I already knew, okay, so I want to do like a true crime podcast next semester at KTCU, but I don't really know how to want to format it. I don't really know what I want to talk about. And then I had this podcast assignment and I just on a whim was like, it needs a name. And I go, club crime. And that's how the name was born. It was just, like, something I just randomly thought up. And the first ever Club Crime podcast was only 10 minutes long. Really? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this right now to see how long we've been going so far. And this is 27 minutes. And all my other episodes have been, like, an hour long. And I keep thinking, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, to see how far I've come is so interesting. So that's so exciting. For our next story... We will be doing the story of John Benet Ramsey. Oh my gosh. And so <laughs> when I was talking about earlier of how like they're connected, it's two unsolved cases of children. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this one gets me because it's there are like so many like twists and turns. So and like, many twists and turns. It's like what is going on? I don't know what to believe ever in this case. Mm-hmm. Like my theories change every time I listen to it. So. No, me too. All right. So sources for this are basically almost the same as my other one. Right. BuzzFeed Unsolved, <laughs> Wikipedia. Yeah. We also have biography.com. And I'm going to be jumping back and forth. Um, I'm going to be kind of reading off the original script that I wrote for that original Club Crime oh, episode. Okay. But um, you can feel free to jump in and help fill any holes that I have in this script for okay. me. But to all my listeners right now, you guys are kind of getting, you know, a preview of a never before like listened to <laughs> other than my English teacher <laughs> version of Club Crime. So this is also a little bit similar. So last week I talked about the Kristen Smart case. And I don't know if you know anything about that. I think um, I've heard of it. I've never like So it's a case it. that actually happened in my hometown. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is so terrifying. Um it was unsolved for a really long time mm-hmm. and I had kind of talked about it in connection with the John Benny Ramsey case because the John Benny Ramsey case happened seven months after the Kristen Smart disappearance. Oh, wow. So to all my listeners out there, if you want to know more about the Kristen Smart disappearance, go listen to last week's episode, Unsha- like shameless plug. <laughs> okay. So Jamine Ramsey went missing the morning of December 26th, 1969. The police were initially called after Patsy Ramsey, John Monet's mother, found a ransom note in her kitchen stating that her daughter had been kidnapped and that $118,000 needed to be delivered to the kidnapper for her safe return. So before we go further, let's talk about who John Benet Ramsey was for any of, for those of you that are have never heard of this case. This is one of like in my opinion, I feel like this is the most famous unsolved case and it's fine for those because whenever it was on the news like everybody was watching it everyone knew about it yeah all right so john benet patricia ramsey was born on august 6th 1990 so she was the younger of two children her mother was patricia patsy ramsey and john benet john benet ramsey so JonBenet Ramsey's name is she's named after her father basically, but his name is like John J O J O H N then Benet, mm-hmm. and her name is like this weird version of it. It's J O N capital B E N E T. That's mm-hmm. how like JonBenet's name is spelled. Yeah. And she has an older brother named Burke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like I said, JonBenet's name is a combination of her father's first and middle name. And then her mother's name was used as her middle name. Right. So she was around like kindergarten age by the time she died. And she was known for being a pageant princess. So that's what her Mm -hmm. mom did. Um, You can go online and look up like pictures of her little cute pageant pictures. But it's very much like what you would see on toddlers and tiaras. Yeah. Like very much this like blonde, curly haired, Mm -hmm. beautiful young child. And... She also did have older siblings other than Burke that mm-hmm. belonged to, I think, John Ramsey. I think so, too. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, all right. So let's kind of talk about who the parents were mm-hmm. and why 
this kidnapping made sense. Obviously, the biggest theory about this is that this was a cover-up by the parents. Right. Um, so we'll get into the real theories later. But um, John Ramsey was a businessman who was the president of Access Graphics, which is a computer software company. And it's owned by Lockheed Martin. Mm. So he is this very high up businessman. And it was Patsy Ramsey, who is basically kind of this trophy wife, Mm -hmm. who was the one like enrolling John Minet in the beauty pageants. Mm -hmm. And they lived in Boulder, Colorado, which I forgot to add. And some of John Benet Ramsey's titles include America's Royale Miss, Little Miss Charlevoix. Little Miss Colorado, Colorado All State All Stars Kids Cover Girl, and Tiny National Tiny Miss Beauty, which hmm. those titles like gross me out. Yeah, I she's think like <laughs> she's literally like four. Beauty pageants in general gross me out because I don't know. You just have little girls in these skimpy little outfits walking around stage, and I don't understand. Like and people are like, oh, it's not creepy, and the judges are like grown adults. Yes, and like I always, uh, on, I always think about that. It's just, it's, it's gross. just, yeah. So, like I said, December twenty sixth, nineteen ninety nine, they the parents have initially realized that the daughter is missing, and Patsy Ramsey is the one to find the handwritten ransom note. Mm-hmm. So. The eighteen hundred thousand or the one hundred eighteen thousand dollars also happens to be the amount of the bonus, like the Christmas bonus mm-hmm. that John Ramsey had received. Right. Which I don't think is a coincidence. I also like, don't think that like no. I also in my head I'm all I've always been like, even if this was some outside person, how truly like how truly would they have found out that he had right. gotten that much money? Unless he was like a coworker or something. A coworker but it's, or like, like nothing points to that. handled was like the bank that handled right, the funds, right. and obviously like nothing pointed to that. So mm-hmm. it was like yeah, like all of this is so coincidental. Yeah. So later in the afternoon, after the entire Ramsey house had allegedly been checked. John Ramsey finds his daughter's body in the family's basement. Mm-hmm. Now, by this time, it has been supposedly said that the basement was checked. Right. Which, in my mind, is like, it, that's another, like, weird coincidental thing. Because I'm mm-hmm. what I think I feel like I remember is, and like I said, this is all based on information that was written down kind of sparsely last semester. So if I'm, like, missing anything, if any of the viewers, like, want to write in and tell me what I'm missing, then please, by all means. Um, what I remember is I think the police did search the basement and there yes. was no body there. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I'm like, the body was definitely moved, especially right. because once John Ramsey found the body, he immediately picked her up, mm-hmm. which disturbed evidence it disturbed the crime scene and disturbed the evidence Mm -hmm. so that's like the number one rule is if you find a body don't touch it which it's like i feel like it's either that the body was moved or maybe even that the police knew about it and were like aiding or at least like one specific police officer Mm -hmm. was like aiding like being paid off yeah he definitely the family definitely had the money to pay off the police of course yeah but that was also my thing is like when i heard that like he immediately touched the body in my Mm -hmm. mind i was also like number one how long was he down in that basement Mm -hmm. and number two like it's like if you're gonna immediately touch the body like that and like pick her up and hold her, it almost feels like 
you're just moving her. Mm-hmm. Like, just for no apparent reason. Yeah. Like, I get that he was her father, but I, I feel like I don't know any dad personally that would just be like, oh, my dead daughter, like, pick her up, you know? Exactly. Whenever there are police in his house there to do their mm-hmm. job, you know? So I also want to note that Patsy Ramsey um, and John Ramsey found the note pretty early on in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like, when I say early, Patsy didn't telephone the police until 5.52 a.m. So it's mm-hmm. early. And it's also, like, the day after Christmas. Right. That was another thing that felt suspicious to me. Is like, the day so after tired. Christmas, I feel like you'd be tired and sleeping in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why would you be up that early? And she didn't call, like, the police immediately after the ransom note. So, mm-hmm. like, when did she first read it when did she first exactly Mm -hmm. when did she first read it whatever (laughs) quote-unquote read it so i think i read somewhere also i don't know if you have this in Mm -hmm. there but i think they like analyzed um her like older handwriting uh with it and it was like similar and then they asked her to do like a test it was like completely Mm -hmm. like you could tell she was yes i was gonna get into that but yeah that's such a good thing to bring up so they did analyze both of the parents' handwriting mm-hmm. based on the ransom note. Um, and it was pretty conclusive that it was Patsy Ramsey's handwriting. Mm-hmm. I think they also found it to be similar to John Ramsey's, but even more so to Patsy Ramsey. Right. So, yes, you are right. They did analyze it. It was weirdly just suspicious, whatever. Right. Um, and then I'm actually going to go back. So okay. they did not search the basement. Um, I'm just reading, looking back and reading this. Mm-hmm. The officer who was looking around the scene, the main officer, whose name is Officer French, mm-hmm. he um, overlooked the latched door, which led mm-hmm. to the basement. Okay. So that kind of goes back to your point of was an officer paid off to just like walk mm-hmm. past the basement and not look at it? True. Because like, I feel like you could easily see mm-hmm. a latch dent. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> and the basement was was not opened and searched until 1 p.m. that day. Mm. So despite the crime scene being disturbed, there was a lot of evidence still found on her body. Mm-hmm. So John Monet was found covered um, with duct tape. Her mouth was covered with duct tape. Mm-hmm. And then a nylon cord was found wrapped around her wrists and neck while her torso was covered in a white blanket. And she was not wearing really anything underneath. The DNA that was found on her body was unknown and it was found in her underpants. Mm -hmm. However, there wasn't really any evidence to show that she had been like sexually assaulted really. Mm -hmm. But like I said, there was DNA found in her pants. So something definitely like gross happened down there. Pineapple was found inside of her stomach, Mm -hmm. which was interesting because she was not the one to have been eating pineapple that morning. Her brother was the one who was eating pineapple. Right. Um, And the police also did see a bowl of pineapple left on the counter Mm -hmm. in the house. So it was also like that was another weird, like kind of weird, suspicious thing that you would not really think about, but also like if the brother was the one like really truly being the one to eat the pineapple mm-hmm. and somehow she had it in her system mm-hmm. and it was an unfinished bowl of pineapple unfinished bowl of there. pineapple sitting you there know? and i'm gonna get into my own theory about that later yeah. of like <laughs> what i think that was and then yeah so the nylon cord was found wrapped around her neck so 
I connect this in my original script to the Kristen Smart case, which I know you like don't know a ton about. But what I said is none of the suspects in John Monet's Ramsey's case were ever officially charged for her murder. Mm-hmm. And no prime suspect has ever truly been named. Mm-hmm. So in Kristen Smart's case, it went unsolved for a really long time. However, she did have a, like a prime suspect and mm-hmm. he was arrested and tried and like is in prison currently. Mm-hmm. So that's just like a little interesting thing. Um, and the autopsy, so I did talk about, like, the pineapple and everything. Her right. autopsy that was revealed basically said that John Monet had been killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. And that the official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma, which is the same as strangulation and mm-hmm. skull fracture. And like I said, there was no evidence of conventional rape, um, but sexual assault could not be ruled out because of the evidence, like the DNA found in her underpants, which is also just like it, like the, like Joseph Sorelli's case. It's just like, all of this just feels so icky. It's Mm -hmm. so hard to talk about this on its own. And I know, like, I always say, like, these are two of my favorite true crime cases, but when I say Mm -hmm favorite i don't want people to think like i love these cases and i love that these children died Mm -hmm. i like them because i'm so fascinated by the psychology behind Mm -hmm. them and what leads someone to kill a child and my biggest thing is like if it was a cover-up like we'll probably get into in a minute like whose dna was that like whose yeah whose dna i don't even want to think about it because um so Everyone in the family had blood samples taken. Mm -hmm. And because the DNA in her underpants was unknown, Mm -hmm. they feel like it's because there was not enough of it. Mm -hmm. There was not a ton of DNA in there. And also, John Ramsey did disturb the crime scene Mm -hmm. quite a bit. They were able to establish that it was an unknown male person. And they did exclude the DNA of all the Ramseys. So they Mm -hmm. knew it wasn't any of the Ramseys, just mm-hmm. period. So, obviously, the investigation is beginning. John and Patsy Ramsey are talking to the police all the time. Burke Ramsey is talking to the police. They're also getting tons of media attention. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to talk about the case of a little girl who's a pageant queen in Boulder, Colorado. It's just... Ugh, it's, it's so gross. So... Yeah. The theories that we'll talk about, I'm going to talk about them very briefly before we get into they actually are. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that it was John Monet's brother, Burke. Mm-hmm. People think that it was someone else in the family, whether it was the mother, the father, the older half-siblings, whoever. A lot of people just think it was in the family. Right. On its own. And then there's also some a little less established theories, such as it was the man who played Santa at the mm-hmm. family Christmas party the night before, and just like so, like there's also the police officer theories. Mm-hmm. There are theories. I think, I think some have been connected to like serial killers in the U.S. at the time. Mm-hmm. Just, but we'll talk about the family ones because those right. are the ones that like, in my own mind, kind of feel like. Mm-hmm. the most plausible in my opinion yeah so they call 
the theory that it was one of the family family members just called the family member theory Mm -hmm. because and that's all like that all encompasses like burke patsy Mm -hmm. john everyone Mm -hmm. so with burke ramsey a lot of people believe that he killed his sister number one because a lot of people believe psychologically with his sister being like the center of attention in the family always winning these pageants he himself just wasn't getting enough attention Mm -hmm. and as like a last ditch effort to get back that his attention from his parents Mm -hmm. he kills his sister Mm -hmm. and what a lot of people believe to be like was his final quote-unquote straw was Mm -hmm he seemed to be eating that pineapple very early in the morning Mm -hmm. and perhaps John Monet came down stole some of his pineapple that turned out to be the last straw and pushed her and like maybe pushed her off a stool on Mm -hmm. the counter and that's how she hit her head initially and that's how she got that like craniocerebral trauma Mm -hmm. so that's like the brother theory So he was nine years old at the time of JonMenet's death, and he was interviewed by investigators at least three times. But the first two interviews, there were no suspicions about him. They Mm -hmm. thought it was just, like, a helpless little, like, older brother who was just happened to be in the house at the time. Mm -hmm. But a review by a child psychologist stated that it appeared the Ramseys had, or this was after the first two, the Ramseys had a healthy, caring family relationship. Hmm. (laughs) Interesting. However... (laughs) Later, a lot of investigators and child psychologists started to realize that he did have, he was talking about his sister in a way that, like, older brothers wouldn't, like, obviously older brothers will be a little bit demeaning to their younger siblings, Mm -hmm. but he was talking about her in a way that was almost, like, cynical and Mm -hmm. weird. But I also want to point out that, like, even in his older interviews, if I were a child and, like, my sister had died and I don't know if he ever saw her body or not, but, mm-hmm. like, that would have messed me up. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say, like, in interviews, he acts so weird and everything. You would act weird, too. Yeah. Because I feel like I would be uncomfortable, like, talking about my sister that was murdered on mm-hmm. Christmas. So I don't want to, like, say, like, it's definitely Burke, but it could be. And so right. theories go that once burke initially killed his sister the father and mother took it upon themselves to cover up the murder the best they could Mm -hmm. so that burke would not be sent away or taken from them Mm -hmm. because they had just lost one child and they would not want to lose another right so that's that's the main family theory the second theory is what's called the intruder theory which encompasses the santa claus the santa claus's real name was chris wolf who played the Santa Claus. Oh, no, sorry, not Chris Wolf. His name was Bill McReynolds, and he was a neighbor who played the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Chris Wolf was a local reporter, and his girlfriend at the time reported him as a suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris Wolf becomes a suspect, and then the family housekeeper becomes a suspect, mm-hmm. and a man named Michael Helgoth, who had died of what police believed to be suicide um just after john Monet's death was also made a suspect mm. but the santa claus is who seems to be the most probable because he was the only one who earlier had been confirmed to be in the house mm-hmm. wasn't there also something about like him kind of having 
an obsession with her because she like she was nice to him and I think she gave him like this jar of glitter and he kept it with him ever since and he talked about how much he loved her and how like kind she was and, and stuff. I feel like I remember something mm-hmm. about that too of I think at a previous Christmas right, is when yeah. that happened and then that year he had like played Santa again. Mm-hmm. Yes, I and I also feel like I remember like police searching his home and finding like pictures of her. Right. But yeah. no like DNA evidence ever proved to it. So that was another mm-hmm. one. And once again, I apologize for this not being like a fully fleshed out oh, like no, yeah, story. Um, like I said, this is based off previous information that I had done. But mm-hmm. like like I said, so everyone has their own theories. Mm-hmm. But I actually do have a quote from John Bonet's brother, Burke. So he doesn't sit down for interviews often. Mm-hmm. He tries to stay out of the public scrutiny as much as possible. Right. But in an interview with Dr. Phil, he did say that it was probably some pedophile in the pageant audience. So that's what he believes. Um, and he said that actually twice in that interview is that's who he like believes the most. Mm-hmm. And... This case, unfortunately, was also, like, one of those cases that just gets really terribly mishandled by the police Mm -hmm. of, like, why would the police not check the basement? And why would the police not do this and that? So that's Mm -hmm. kind of why it has never been solved to this day. However, hopes are that within, hopefully, the next year or two, the case will be solved. So it has recently happened that John Ramsey has basically been appealing to the court to try and get DNA evidence from the Colorado police that apparently has never been opened or like tested ever. Hmm. So it's been revealed that there is evidence like DNA evidence that they have that was never tested. And I also want to say that Patsy Ramsey did die in 2009, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's John Ramsey at this point basically running the case or mm-hmm. keeping the case alive for the most part. And he is basically appealing to courts, I think as at the moment, I think he still is, that he wants to get this DNA evidence from the police and have it tested by a private like mm. service. Uh-huh. And there are hopes from what everyone knows that this evidence could be, that this could be the evidence that finally proves who her killer is. Interesting. So it's kind of that thing of similar to Joseph Sorelli's case of like, technology is really great now. We have the technology to solve all of these cases Mm -hmm. and just with like a little happenstance of DNA. So like with Joseph Zarelli's case, it just so happened that his cousin gets entered into the like yeah. DNA <laughs> testing service, whatever it could really be called. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he gets identified. Yeah. So with her, it's almost like, well, we've come so far that maybe even the DNA that they have, it might not, the person might not be alive anymore. Right. However, someone related to them could be alive and Mm -hmm. then it could all point to that person. So it's just, I think it's so interesting. I personally don't know a ton about genetic DNA testing, Mm -hmm. but I just think it's so cool that we are so close 
to like unearthing this case right and that makes me excited because i'm like oh my god me too like, because this case is so confusing <laughs> yeah. like i i always say that joseph zarelli's case was like the case that first really got me into true crime mm-hmm. but i think i knew about john Monet's case way before i yeah. knew about his i had definitely heard her name like dozens of times mm-hmm. before i knew what actually happened to her yeah. i also like remember reading a theory one time that like john Monet ramsey's still alive and a lot of people think that she's Katy perry oh, oh really mm-hmm. interesting which hmm. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, no. But <laughs> I, I just thought that was interesting to kind of talk about is that. Yeah. That, that people was, have their theories. People have their theories. Know. And so, yeah, so that's the case of John Benet Ramsey. Oh, and, so you know, crazy. to my listeners, if you want to learn more, there are so many great other podcasts out there. Yes. I know one of my favorites is... Um, um buzzfeed unsolved yeah. obviously that's it's, a youtube that one's show just fun to watch Y'all that one's very to fun watch. to watch that's not a podcast but yeah. it's, it's a youtube show um i think they're also i found out they're on hulu all of the buzzfeed really? unsolved episodes are on oh hulu my gosh. i have to watch them all in order now <laughs> i know that's what i've been doing i'm watching them all in order um you can also go to the podcast my favorite murder which happens mm-hmm. to be like my favorite true crime podcast so a little bit of a plug for them um <laughs> But their first ever episode was about JonBenet Ramsey, mm. and they did a really great job covering that. So if you want a little bit more information, and there's also, like, everyone who likes true crime has, like, written and talked about this case. Yeah. So to my listeners, if you felt that I didn't do this story as much justice as it definitely deserved, please, 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 like, I, I'm always one to just, like, find as many sources and like listen to as many things as possible because you learn so many new things each time you listen to something new Mm -hmm. so yeah thank you so much do you have any final like questions or little comments that you want to make on either story or not really i just think you picked some really good cases these are really good really thank you i think well-known interesting cases very well-known and you know part of my thing was like i didn't want to do tons of well-known cases Mm -hmm. for this show because you know everyone 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 talks about these cases but i these cases honestly feel very important to me Mm -hmm. because i can say about dozens of cases that these are the reasons that i got into true crime but i feel like these are two of the stories because buzzfeed unsolved was a huge part of like why i'm into true crime today so i feel like those are the two cases i remember most from that specific show that i wanted to talk about and you know i hope from here on out i know today was not anything really personally connected to me as much as <laughs> yeah. our previous stories have been but i'm hoping soon to all my listeners out there please stick around because i'm not done yet with any of my personal connection cases <laughs> i just needed to take a little break this week and um i'll come back with some incredible stories for you next week christabel thank you so much for joining me of you course. are officially part of the club that is club crime Yay. so <laughs> I thank you so much for joining me. Um, You are officially part of the club. So, yeah. Um, And everyone who is listening, please join us next week for another true crime story when we have another special guest joining us for another surprise little little get together. And obviously, this has been Club Crime.